either to tell or to hear some new thing. And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that all thing, in all things ye are too super. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined at the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. That they may seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of our own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. In the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He giveth assurance unto all men that He hath raised Him from the dead. Behind me on the screen are the words of Thomas Jefferson, which are written in the Declaration of Independence. And it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with a certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so I thought it was amazing that Thomas Jefferson wrote those words where he talks about men are created equal, but he realizes that man is a created being and that they are endowed by their Creator. And I think that that's something else that's amazing that he recognized that there is a Creator. I would mentioned earlier that he obviously had some problems with what he found in the Bible because he had his own version of the New Testament. And in that New Testament that he had, he had taken out all the deity to Christ, then that he would removed all the miracles and things that Jesus did that were supernatural that proved that He was the Son of God. And he focused entirely upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. But you can't remove the miracles and the divinity of Christ because then he refuses to be who he claimed to be. He would not be the Savior of the world. But those words that are in that Declaration of Independence are something that people hold dear. And they may remember that particular line and hold it dear, but, and they may not recall the rest of it, but it's true that all men are created equal. And we need to realize that even though we look at ourselves and we look at people around us, and every single one of us is unique in our own way, I've heard it said that we're all like snowflakes. They're all different. Well, we are different. Even people that are identical twins are different. They may look exactly the same on the outside, but inside, if you know those individuals, you'll realize that they are a unique individual themselves. That sometimes their personalities are quite different. The things that they like are quite different. And so we can realize that all of us are unique in some way. Now, we also realize that we are equal in our circumstances. Some are rich and some are not. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11, it says this, 
I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happens to all of them. What's Solomon saying? Solomon is telling us that the way things always look like they should happen don't always happen that way. The person that is at the race and appears to be the fastest may not win the race. And those that may have skill may not always be victorious in life. As Solomon is telling us that chance happens. And sometimes we have good things that happen to us and sometimes there's bad things that happen to us. And every one of us has those type of experiences in our lives. What we do share is that it may seem random, but it happens to all of us. And things that are out of our control happen to you and me. And sometimes those things are good, and sometimes they're bad. Some people have good experiences. You know, you've known those people that just like everything seems to go rosy for them. And then you know someone else that everything seems to go bad. That's just chances that happen in life. That's part of what life is. And that's what Solomon is trying to help us to see in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. But what does the Bible tell us about are all men created equal? I believe the Bible answers that question. And I wish more people would look at the Bible because the Bible could save us a lot of money, a lot of research, a lot of effort that's put forth because people are always out there trying to prove or disprove what the Bible has stated only to find out that the Bible said it a long time ago. It's always amazing when I find someone that has discovered something that is real and true. And if you do this, it works. And you say... Yeah, that's what the Bible said a long time ago. That if you practice this, that this would be the result. So let's look at what the Bible teaches us about the origin of man. And all the things that we have in common. We are equal in our origins, for one. We are all created by man or by God. The common thread among all people is that all people are created by God. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 2, it says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. God makes the rich people. God makes the poor people. We need to understand that God is in control. We are created as we read in our Scripture reading when Paul was speaking on Mars Hill and preaching the truth that there's only one God and he wanted to declare unto them the God that they were ignorant of. He points out the fact, listen to what he says in verse 26, that we are made of one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and bound of their habitation. What's he saying? That all of us, all people, no matter what color you are, we're all made by the same blood. We're all, we have the same origin. We all came from the same place. Now, there's a lot of people that probably don't want to believe that, but that is what the Bible teaches us. It started with one man, Adam. 
Adam was the one where it started. In 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verses 45 through 49, it talks about the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And if you go back to Genesis, you can find where God said, let us make man in our image. And He took dust from the ground and He created man and He breathed into the nostrils of Him the breath of life and He became a living soul. That was Adam. The first man that was created. That's the problem that the world has. We don't want to accept what the Bible teaches. One man, Adam, God created in His image. He was created. And what does that say about all of us? That all of us, all people, of wherever you're at in this world, were made by God. And we came from Adam. In fact... What some people may forget is that even the first woman came from Adam. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 23. And the Lord God created a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, or instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Where did it all start? The Bible tells us it started by Adam. It started with Adam. God created Adam and then everything came from him. Now, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 20, listen to what it says here. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, I've had people that try to say, well, you know, God created Adam and Eve. doesn't say He didn't create other people out there in other places. It doesn't say that He did either, does it? It says that He created Adam. He took a rib from Adam and He created Eve. And Eve became the mother of all living. So now if there were other people created out there somewhere, were they living? Or were they some kind of zombie out there? Because Eve was the mother of all living. So we are all descendants originally from Adam. And that's what the Bible teaches us. Seven generations later, we find that there was a flood. And why did that flood take place? Because of the wickedness of man. Darkness was on the face of the earth because of sin. Sin was dark. And then we see that that sin, God got tired of it. And because of that, there was a flood. And the wickedness of man was great. And the Bible tells us the imagination of his thought or the thought and intent of his heart was only evil continually. And so he was fed up with man and he destroyed man except for one family. And that was Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. So eight souls were saved when that flood came. They had to be in the ark and then they were saved. They came out of that ark. They were the only living beings, human beings on the face of the earth. And we are their descendants. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 19. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. What does that mean? That the entire earth was populated by Noah and his family. That's where it came, where we came from. So, Noah, 
And his wife and their sons were descendants of Adam and Eve. And guess where we're descendants of? Now, we can't trace our lineage all the way back. Wouldn't that be great if you could do that? But we can't. But we know where we came from. And we know where all people came from. Red, yellow, black, white, whatever color they may be, we all originated with Adam and Eve. Now, I've heard people uh, talk about different races, but the Bible doesn't even talk about races. The concept of races does not exist in Scripture. All men are descendants of Adam and Eve. And from their descendants, Noah and his wife. But the Bible does talk about nationalities and languages. Countries and languages. And that started with the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1-9. through That they were united, that they worked together, that they were going to build a tower up to heaven. And God came down and He saw what was taking place and He confounded their language to where they could not communicate. And there's a lesson there that we can understand. If you read read those verses, you'll see that they were working together. They were able to work together. And working together, God even realized there was nothing that they couldn't accomplish. You think about that's a lesson. That's a lesson we're not going to talk about today. But if we work together... Imagine what we could accomplish in this world. But that's where countries and languages came about. What has always fascinated scientists is that all the variations that we see in humans is a result of only minute differences in our genetics. I've listened to Brad Harab. I've listened to Bert Thompson before that. And I've listened to Kyle Butt and different individuals who can explain blood and how it's DNA and all those things much better than I can. And I'm not going to stand up here and try to sound like a scientist because I'm not. But here's what's interesting. If you go home and you Google, you'll find that there are... I mean, get, get, the, get out here evolutionary biologist who will say that race does not exist. Now that's amazing, isn't it? Evolutionary biologists, people that are don't believe in the Bible, they don't believe in the creation, they're evolutionists, will state that there is the race doesn't matter. In fact, you can look at someone by the name of Alan R. Templeton, Ph.D., professor of biology in arts and science, and different individuals that state there is no such thing as a race. And so I think that it's interesting that we are so divided in our world today. And race is such an issue when we need to realize that we are all from God. That we were all from the beginning created in His image, that we are all descendants from the same person, and that was God's plan. And so we are equal in our origin. So think about that. But there's other areas that we are also equal in. Doesn't matter what color we are. Doesn't matter where we live. Don't matter what language we speak. We're also all equal when it comes to the downfall of our lives or of our souls. Unfortunately, 
Man shares that equal personal disorder, if you want to call it. Call it that. Because we all, if we've reached the age of accountability, we all have sinned. The Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 3, and verse 23, for all have sinned. Notice that Paul didn't say, there's only a certain group of people that assert sin. There's only different color of people that have sinned. The problem that Paul was dealing with in Romans was that the Jews thought that they were better than the Gentiles and that they were far superior in, in morality and that the Gentiles were the scum of the earth in their opinion. And Paul is pointing out, guess what? You're no better than they are. You've all sinned. And all have sinned. If we've reached the age of accountability where we know what is right and wrong, we have sinned. And that separates us from God. Sin started with Adam in the Garden of Eden. God gave no or gave uh, Adam instructions on what to do, how to live, what he was supposed to do, what he could not do, and Adam violated that law that God had given to him, and that initiated the downfall. And we all imitate Adam in our fall in our own way. We have seen in previous lessons we don't inherit Adam's sin. But we still imitate Adam by giving in to sin. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, or law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So there in that passage of Scripture, we find that we all sin, that we've all committed sin, that we are separated from God. Nationality is no barrier to sin. As I said, it doesn't matter where you live on this planet, we're all capable of sinning, and sin separates us from God. In Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have therefore proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth that there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes." Paul is addressing Jews and Gentiles. There's no fear of God. Let me just say today, that's part of our problem in our world today. That's a problem with a lot of Christians. There is no fear of God. We want to eliminate that thought and just make God a God of love. He is a God of love. He loves all of us. But guess what? We need to fear Him. And when we fear Him... We have respect for Him and we will obey what He's told us to do. That's the problem that we have. That was the problem that Paul was addressing, that there was no fear of God. 
So we're equal in the downfall. <clears throat> As the Bible points out, that there's no one that is above sin. We all are in need of something. But the Bible tells us also that we are equal in judgment. We must all appear before God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Jesus Christ is deity. He is God. He is the Son of God. And He knows how we think. He knows what we do. He knows everything about us. And we're all going to stand before Him, rich, poor, young, old, whatever we may be, whatever color we may be, we're all going to be judged by our Lord. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31 and 32, all nations will be gathered before Christ on that day. When the Son of Man, verse 31, Matthew chapter 25, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all nations and He shall, be, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. All nations, wherever they may be, are going to be gathered on that occasion. It doesn't matter where you live. We are all equal when it comes to the judgment. We're all going to be judged. And in this equity of judgment, we realize that when we're all equal, that we're going to be judged by Christ. Maybe that should help us to be a little more sympathetic to our brethren. And I think that that's what Paul is addressing in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10 when he says, But why dost thou, thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou sit at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's easy sometimes for us to get a bee in our bonnet because someone does not agree with our opinion. We're not talking about a doctrinal issue. I'm talking about opinion. And we want them to agree with us and do it the way we want it done. And then there's a problem. Paul is telling us there, guess what? We're going to stand before our judge. Let him be the judge. Who am I to judge you on those types of matters? Who are you to judge me on those types of matters? When we realize that we leave it in God's hands, that should help us to be more compassionate and understanding of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now remember, I'm not talking about doctrinal issues. Now sometimes we try to make matters of opinion a doctrinal issue when we shouldn't. So think about it. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And He knows what's in our heart. He knows what's in our actions. He knows us better than we know ourselves. The judgment will be impartial when it is conducted. And it will be based on how we've lived our lives. It will be fair. Colossians chapter 3, verses 24 through 25. Knowing that the Lord, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Isn't that great to know? 
that there is no respect of person? In other words, because you're the president of some country, that doesn't mean you get special treatment. It doesn't mean you have favoritism. Maybe because you're the most popular person on earth, people know your name, they say your name, and everybody knows who you are. No special treatment there. The poor person, no special treatment there. We're all going to be judged the same by the same standard, by the same book, and by our life as an individual. It's going to be fair. We see a lack of fairness today, sometimes in court cases. But on that judgment day, <laughs> that's not going to happen. It's going to be fair. There will be no respect of person. It will be based on what we have done. Revelation 22 and verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. It's going to be based on what we've done. Are you living with the, for the Lord? Are you doing things to please Him? Or is it, well, what makes me feel good? You're going to live for the devil and be rewarded with heaven in the end. How you live your life will determine how you receive your reward in the end. It's going to be compared to the truth. What is truth? Big debate today and nowadays. What is truth? Oh, you have your truth, I have mine. Jesus says... Thy Word is truth. God's Word is truth. And we have a choice as to whether or not we want to accept that truth. But it's still the truth whether you accept it or not. You think about it. You ignore God's Word, does that change it? I've known of people that have even rewritten what they wanted it to say. Memorized it the way they wanted it to say, the way they wanted it to be. You point out that you're saying it wrong. Well, that's the way I like it. That's the way I want it. Doesn't change what God said. Romans chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them that commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doeth the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despise not the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, but knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the judgment, righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. We're going to be judged by our life, the things that we do. The good things, the bad things, it's all going to be out in the open. To be based upon the record of our life, as Revelation 20 and verse 12 tells us, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Again, Scripture showing us what that judgment is going to be based upon. That's how fair God is. He's telling us today, while we're alive, while we can do something about it, how we're going to be judged. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. 
And in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. We're going to be judged by what this book says. Isn't it best to obey it today? And so we see that we're equal in our origin. We're equal in the judgment. We're also equal in salvation. There's the offer that is available to all people. You see, if we stopped in that condition where we're lost, where we talk about the judgment, it would be easy to seem hopeless. I'm afraid that there's a lot of people out here in our world today seeing all this stuff going on, and maybe some people even here today is starting to feel hopeless. We shouldn't feel hopeless. Because think about what God has done for us. And it's not just for us, but it's for all people. And people need to hear that. That there's hope. If God left us in the state of sinfulness, we would be in awful shape. But He does not leave us there. Even though we have all sinned and we are impartially judged by the record that we have created here on this earth, and we are judged by the truth that we have failed to keep, God loved us so much that He would not let us alone. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6-10, through 10, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commandeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if we, when we were enemies, we are reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. God sent His only begotten Son, His precious Son, to come to this earth so that all of mankind, you, me, everybody that's out there, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the country they live in, no matter the language they speak, can all have an opportunity for salvation. That plan was planned from the foundations of the world. In Ecclesiastes 1, beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of the children of Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, 
having made known unto us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He had purposed in Himself, that in a dispensation of the fullness of time He might together or gather together in one all things in Christ, both which is in heaven and which is on the earth, even in Him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What a blessing it is to know that we didn't have to stay in that sinful state. That God from the foundations of the world says if you will obey this plan, this, this plan that I have, then you can have the forgiveness of sin. God knew we were going to mess up. And so He made provisions from the foundations of the world. And He says if you follow this, then you're going to be saved. If you obey Christ... If you follow Him, you're going to have eternal life. Think about that. A home in heaven. Aren't you glad you can't buy it? Because if you could buy it, then you'd have a lot of rich people there that live sinful lives. Aren't you glad that you don't have to buy it? Because if you were poor, you might not be able to afford it. Be thankful that God has made it possible for all men, all women, wherever they're at, that they can be saved. You say, well, you know, there's places that people have not heard the Gospel. They don't have the opportunity. And whose fault is that? It's our fault. It's Christians everywhere that are not sharing the good news. When we go out into the workplace, when we go out into our schools, when we go wherever we go, and people see our life, they should see that Christ is living in us. And hopefully, that will draw interest to us that they will be interested in why we are what we are and why we have the hope that we have. And we can share the good news with people that we come in contact with. The plan of salvation that God has given is offered to all people. Without distinction, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 12, it says, "...for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord... Over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. That Gospel, that good news, that forgiveness of sin, that home in heaven, that relationship with God is available to everyone. Be thankful for it. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 11, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. No matter what color you are, what classification you may fall in, rich, poor, somewhere in between, what language you speak, where you reside, we're all the same in Christ Jesus. We're all equal. Now name any other organization where that's the case. Yes, we are created by our Creator and we're all equal. We all are lost. We all need salvation. And God has provided for us all. And so the question is simple. You can accept it or reject it. He makes it available to all people. And the beautiful thing about God, even all the way back in the garden, is He's never forced us to obey Him. He's given us a choice. And so be thankful if you've obeyed that call to become a child of His and you've been baptized in the blood of Christ for the remission of your sin. Be thankful for what He's done for you. How many of us just take that for granted every day? The more I work on those lessons for forgiveness that I've been sending out, the more I appreciate what God has done for me. And I hope that you realize what He's done for you. Because He expects us to extend these good things that He's given to us to others. And we need to do that. This morning, if you're not a Christian, Jesus died for you so that you could have eternal life. Don't reject it. Accept it. And this morning you can be buried with our Lord in baptism. He tells us what we need to do, what we need to believe. We need to believe that He's the Son of God. We need to turn away from our sin. We need to confess His name before men. And then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism to have those sins washed away. And then we can be one in the body of Christ. And brother, we need to appreciate what He's done for us. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, please do so while we stand aside.